Hello, everybody, and kia ora. Uh, welcome to the Austroads webinar. In today's session, we will talk about the new Austroads Extended Vehicle Classification Scheme focusing on light vehicles. We have almost 400, 500 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with Amy Knowles, Austroads um, Transport Network Operations Program Manager. Amy is one of our presenters today, and um, she will also moderate your questions at the end of the session. I would like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Ostrods is based in Sydney and so today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging and their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A bit about Austroads, uh, we are the collective of Australasian uh, transport and traffic agencies and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. This project uh, was delivered under the Transport Network Operations Program, which is managed by Amy Knowles. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, our presenters will speak for about 40 minutes and then we will have um, 15 minutes for your questions. The slides and the publications can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions, um, use the question icon on that sidebar. Um, if your question relates to any particular slide, uh, please include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Um, also let us know if you have any technical problems, but a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session um, via your email registration usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is published on our website. If you listen to podcasts, uh, you can also find Austroads in your podcast app. Well, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today. We will first hear from Amy Knowles, who I've introduced earlier. Amy will talk about the project team. Our next presenter is Drew Gaynor, a principal consultant at Level 5 Design. Drew will provide an overview of the new classification scheme. Um, and our third presenter is David Johnston, consultant engineer from Intelligent uh, Transport Services. David will talk about light vehicle classes um, one and two and class 19. Um, Amy will conclude the presentation and we will have some time for questions. So welcome to all our presenters and over to you Amy. Well thank you Katerina, it's really good to be here today to talk about the Austro's new vehicle classification scheme which we're calling Austro's 23 and in particular today to discuss how the scheme will affect how we measure light vehicles um, our Australasian road networks. So we're going to be hearing from our consultants, Drew Gaynor from Level 5 Design and Dave Johnston from Intelligent Transport Services. And I'd like to thank Drew and Dave for all the great work they've done on this project um, to bring it to us today. I'd also like to thank and call out the Project Control Group and the Network Task Force because the Project Control Group has put in a sterling effort on this project over the last few years and I know there are more people who have contributed than we've named today so thank you very much. Um, I, I, we appreciate how much our time and commitment the group has put into this project in addition to their day-to-day -day responsibilities. Now I'm going to pass over to Drew Gaynor who's going to be first presenting. Drew's going to talk about the background for the scheme and the methodology that the project team used. Over to you Drew. Thank you, Amy, and good morning and good afternoon to everyone online. Uh, this webinar is the second of three instalments on the Osrose 2023 Vehicle Classification Scheme. We had uh, last week the heavy vehicle component, uh, today the light vehicles, and next week we have active transport. So apologies in advance to anyone who might have been on the uh, heavy vehicles one last week. There will be parts of this presentation which will be similar but there will also be a very detailed uh, component that Dave Johnson will do on the light vehicles uh, component of this. So without further ado, let's start. So the new Osrose 23 classification scheme, we're gonna talk about what it is, 
why change from Osrose 1994? What does the new scheme mean for measuring and reporting light vehicles? Next slide, please. Okay, just a little bit of history about uh, Osroads vehicle classification. Uh, the 1994 scheme had the 12 bin classification scheme. It was updated in 2006 uh, by vehicle length and the 2023 update that we undertook for Osroads uh, introduced level four classes, uh, a, new, a new subclass, uh, alternate technology pathways and new classes 19 and 20. There were fleet change and these were because of the fleet change and emerging technology will require more frequent updates. Find a balance between frequency and updates and currency of scheme and pathways recommended which will reduce the effort and provide certainty for industry. Just on the right we have, if you just go back for a moment, thank you. Just on the right we have uh, the, the classifications as it's shown now. So we've got the traditional um, 12 classes. And then we have class 19 for unmatched vehicles and non-road. We'll discuss a little bit more about that later. Uh, next slide, please. So why was the scheme updated? Well, road agencies and industry reported that the 1994 scheme, while still relevant, required updating to be fit for purpose. The 94 scheme was developed primarily to provide information on vehicle movements, particularly for heavy vehicles, and primarily for road asset management for road agencies. However, network operations and performance across a range of categories are becoming increasingly important for road agencies and others. And so this update incorporates those components. Next slide, please. <clears throat> so a little bit more about why the scheme was updated. Road managers reported it was becoming increasingly difficult to differentiate between some vehicle types and surveys. Uh, some vehicle types are, are not accurately classified by the 1994 scheme. Uh, Ford Rangers is a particular, uh, well, let's say dual cabs, uh, using Ford Rangers as an example, is particular uh, for, this, for this light vehicles component, and Dave will explain that a bit more later, uh, later. While the 1994 scheme is still widely used, additional jurisdiction, uh, jurisdictional or narrow function specific classification schemes were adopted. So really what we're talking about here is workarounds were increasingly introduced to complement and add to the limitations of the 94 scheme. And finally, the traffic counting industry reported that the 94 scheme constrained them in exploiting innovations in detection technology and provide more comprehensive uh, survey data. And we, we looked into te technology in detail. Next slide, please. Okay, so the key components of the task before us to update the scheme was to review the class the 94 scheme and retain its relevant parts. There were many relevant parts to the scheme. It just needed to be enhanced. Identify other relevant and existing or emerging vehicle classification schemes. We looked extensively, particularly internationally, to see what was happening in this space. Uh, consider uh, determine priority vehicle and active transport attributes for uh, inclusion, consider new technology developments, as I mentioned a moment ago, develop a hybrid scheme encompassing current and potential new classes and subclasses, the level four classes we'll discuss further. Provide a degree of flexibility and scalability to accommodate unforeseen challenges in what is a rapidly changing road network environment. I think you can all appreciate that. Next slide, please. So what were the key changes? Well, we provided greater granularity for each of the existing 12 classes, particularly for classes 10, 11, and 12. We talked about that last year and last week in the heavy vehicle component. And that was through a provision of a level four subclass. This is still very relevant for light vehicle classes and Dave will discuss that a bit later. So the level four subclasses and defining the measurements used to distinguish between these classes. We also were reviewing level three length boundaries, ensuring that the most granular classifications of the proposed schemes map directly with the existing level three classifications. So there was a bit of work to do retrospectively on the level three length boundaries. Provide forward and backward compatibility for existing data collections and future data collections. Now this is a particularly important point uh, and Dave's gonna talk about this in detail later, but suffice to say, 
was very important to make sure that the existing counting through to the level three classes, when we introduced moving forward to the level three granularity classes, they could be they could be grouped up and compared with level three previous counts. So it, what it meant was pre and post this date, uh, those those that data can be can be still actively used and compared with each other. So it was quite important for flexibility. Uh, next slide, please. Other key changes, we provided a new class for non-road travellers to record a variety of modes such as pedestrians, skateboards and e-scooters. Dave will touch on that later in relation to the light vehicle component. That's class 20, uh, providing a new class for unmatched vehicles that cannot be matched <coughs> to any other existing classes for light and heavy vehicles. Again, Dave will discuss this in detail later, but just suffice to say that what we meant there was that there were a number of vehicles that didn't readily fit, even with the level level four classification granularity. So we we identified a class 19 to put them into, but it wasn't just to put them in and then just forget about them in the too hard basket. Ultimately, they can be reviewed and then they can be moved into their own level four class if required in the future. Next slide, please. Okay, just a snapshot about how we went about this project. So stakeholder consultation, I'll discuss it a bit more in a moment. I discussed how the schemes, we did a scheme scan around the world. We then went into a SWOT analysis, analysis of options, options development, extended scheme develop, the draft. Then we went through a series of validation processes. Uh, I'll talk more about that later. And then we've arrived to where we are now with the final scheme for implementation. Next slide, please. So consultation was extensive. We had 41 entities from all of those uh, categories outlined below. We had a very, very good response. It was either a combination of interview and survey or both. And we had 35 responses. So we went right through the road agencies, other national transport organisations in government, local government, suppliers for hardware, software detection, broader industry, delivering and supporting or using outputs or traffic surveys, industry associations for all of those areas of heavy vehicles, light vehicles and active transport, owners and users of existing or plant classification schemes. So it was extensive, the consultation. Next slide, please. So in that consultation feedback, We'll just talk a little bit about the strengths and weaknesses that were identified by, by the, uh, the stakeholders. So the Axel groupings provide a level of immunity to desired outcomes due to fluctuations in exact axle spacing inside groups. Other comments were data gathering can be done independent of classification with reprocessing of classification later if needed. The 1994 scheme was a sound foundation to support those, those tasks of asset management, paper management, intersection design guidelines, swept path standards, obviously, and bridge design guidelines. Next slide, please. So what were some of the feedback about the weaknesses of the 1994 scheme that we had to consider for this updated 2023 scheme? Well, it needs better granularity and differentiation at higher and middle classes, particularly for heavy vehicles, or those heavy vehicles in those classes. Special purpose vehicles were not accurately classified. It required more granularity in class one to differentiate between bicycles and motorcycles and to include pedestrians, cycling e-bikes and scooters. And that's a key, key area that Dave will discuss later. Does not include mobility vehicles. <clears throat> the boundaries between classes need to be re-examined because changes in the fleet are causing boundary uncertainty and misallocation. Next slide. Just a few more weaknesses that are identified that we had to factor in. New technologies that can collect additional vehicle attributes. The level of classification granularity possible with the additional, made possible with the additional data may not be the same as that available using Excel-based data. There is no catch-all class for vehicles. That's the class 19. Does not easily map to the national vehicle uh, heavy vehicle regulator performance-based uh, vehicles and 
that was included uh, in the scheme, and we discussed that last week in heavy vehicles. Next slide, please. So what were some of the challenges in project delivery? Well, we thought we would sum this up for the purpose of the webinar too. There were three key points that we needed to have uh, a sanity check and work through the, the issues very, very carefully. So in sequential order, we had the verification workshop with road agencies, followed by an impacts workshop with road agencies, and then we undertook some further data verification. Next slide, please. <coughs> Okay, for the verification workshop with road agencies, the objective was to verify options identified in the draft scheme to incorporate into the scheme. The workshop addressed features to be retained, granularity of boundaries, improved coverage, classification via alternate measures and transition issues. So once we'd worked through those, we moved, just move to the next slide, please. Thank you. We moved to impact workshops with road agencies. So the objective of this, armed with what we had found in the previous workshop, was to determine the impacts of the design options for implementation. So we based that around four assessment criteria, effort to adopt, transition approach, timing and cost. Next slide, please. So once we did that, we decided that there needed to be some further analysis done. So we, we gathered extensive data from several jurisdictions and we, and we undertook some further analysis. So Level 5 design teamed with Transmetric to verify that classifications ban. Now there were 10 things that we actually verified. We're only going to talk today about, I'm just going to mention the ones in red because they're the ones that are relevant to this particular webinar. Some of those others are heavy vehicles that were addressed last week. So some of the validation was for classes one and three boundary of 3.25 for short vehicles. Determine specific values of axle separations. It also applied not only for heavy vehicles, but for light vehicles. Uh, determine, sorry, just go back one. Sorry, determine if other technologies for will be required for accurate classification for the light vehicles and 103, 106 subclasses. Sorry, next one now, please. And number nine, use LIDAR for class 20 non-road travellers. Determine if number plate recognition technology can be used for future classifications. And that data that was supplied by those agencies uh, and I have special thanks to Main Roads that did further analysis after we'd done our verification to cross-reference some of those findings. Next slide, please. So the options relevant for light vehicles, and we'll only focus on those today, today were the provision of a class runmate vehicles for class 19, so it's some light vehicle uh, groups can go in there. Use alternative, me alternative measures and sensors, need for increased granularity for classes one and two, easy transition to the new scheme and backward compatibility of the 1994 scheme, as I mentioned before, and Dave will talk in more detail soon. Next slide, please. Okay, so we just got a snapshot of the of the of the uh, of the classification scheme chart as it looks at the moment. And you'll note there is level one uh, that is still there, and then level three is still there, and then we move into this new level, level four, where we have these subclasses as we require. Uh, as a need. And in the heavy vehicles, there were quite a few, uh, less so in the light vehicles and active transport, but nevertheless, we needed those because we needed greater granularity for these classes. Next slide, please. So in the scheme as it looks when you get it, notwithstanding uh, the removal of the heavy vehicles, this is a, these are the classes that are there. We just move to the next slide. And in, and then we've got class 20. And in between those is class 19, just above that. There's nothing in there at the moment, but there will that will increasingly become populated as time goes by. So we have these classes. There's some relationship between these and light vehicles, particularly on, on types of things like scooters, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, bicycles. So Dave will discuss that more later. That class 20 will be discussed in detail uh, next week on Thursday with the final component of these webinars on active transport. 
Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for uh, listening to my component of this webinar today. I'm now handing over to David, who will give you more detail about the level of uh, the, the light vehicle components. Thank you. Okay. Check um, it, Katarina. Handover successful. Yep. All good. Right. Thank you, Katarina. Thanks, uh, Drew and Amy as well, and, and thanks for attending, everybody. We're just going to go through some of the uh, in detail of, on some of the changes made to the scheme and give you some of the rationale behind it and what it means going forward. So um, when we uh, first look at the backward compatibility issue, as Drew mentioned before, we've retained the level one, which was introduced in 2006, which was that purely classification for bin by length only. And then level three uh, has been retained as well with the 12 classes um, with the classification, just using the axles and axle groupings. As a note, level two in the old scheme was just the set of attributes that helped define uh, level one. But as Drew mentioned, we've got this new level four, which provides granularity under each one of the classes, one through to 12, and introduces those two new classes. Now, the key is that we've, the scheme allows for past counts to be stored under the new classification scheme immediately. So for example, we're looking at class one here for the short vehicles in the diagram, the bottom left. And you can see that class one has got seven different subclasses under it at level four, which is 100 through to 106. Now, you'll notice that class uh, level four 100 is effectively a catch-all for everything in class 100. So historical counts can be stored in that particular class. And then as the capability emerges to differentiate between that class and allocate vehicles to classes 101 to 106, then um, the, uh, each of the users can migrate to using the full level four classification scheme without losing anything historically. So one key point to note by this implementation is that the 1994 class count for class one is equal to the sum of all of those class 100 through to 106, both historically and then going forward as well, which means that all of the uses of the counts in the 1994 scheme, class one through to 12, they are unchanged uh, mostly one or two distinct differences, one of which exceptions, which I'll uh, which I'll touch on a bit later, but they are purely error corrections. So your existing use of of 1994 class counts one through to 12 remains unchanged. The system still supports that, and it also supports the infield technology and transition and ongoing limitations. So, for example, if we look here. Uh, classes 103, 4, 5 and 6, we've got sedans and wagons in 103, SUV in 104, four-wheel drives in 105 and light van in 106. But axle technology alone can't distinguish those apart. We need alternate technologies to pull those apart. And we'll look at some of the options in the subsequent slides for doing that. So what it means is that if you're only using axle counting, the counts for those vehicles, 103 to 106, will go into class 100 because we can't pull them apart. That way they still add up for all of class one. But if you're using alternate technologies that allow you to pull them apart, it allows you to use those classes. Similarly, you've got the, um, the motorcycles and the bicycles. We were able to distinguish between those using uh, uh, the axle length. So they have been distinguished at this level, and so an axle-based scheme can, in fact, uh, count those and differentiate. So effectively, that's an illustration of how the scheme supports the best technology, but it's not limited by the worst technology. So we'll have a look at the other um, class that's, uh, that's specifically covered under uh, the light vehicles, and this is um, class two, the 1994, which is effectively vehicle plus trailer. Now, the granularity in this class uh, was decided to be around how many axles were on the trailer. So you can see that axle-based measurement is going to be able to distinguish between these particular classes because the towing vehicle will have a certain length between the, uh, the axles. 
and then having determined that the towing length is a short uh, of that vehicle is a short vehicle, then uh, then it falls into this class, and then from there the um, the number of axles on the trailer determines whether it's 201, 202, or 203. So if there's any interest, uh, was raised during the um, the evaluation of what type of trailer it was. Well, the axle data isn't going to tell us that, but there is a pathway to using to determining that using video plus AI or or things like that. So one of the suggestions that's in the project is that a standard data signature be developed for storing such information, and this would allow reports in future to do things such as tell me how many boats or caravans or whatever using that extended data storage. I'll cover a, a little bit more on that standard data storage in, in subsequent slides. But that's uh, given you the introduction to the changes in, uh, in classes one and two. There's a key point we need to, um, that came up during the uh, scheme evolution that we needed to look at. You'll note that we've got a new class 20 of non-road travellers, which I'm showing you an expand of down the bottom here. So we've got pedestrians, skaters, skateboard segways, scooters and e-scooters, mobility scooters, animals, and then clusters of various uh, of the above. But the question was, should bicycles be part of that? Because bicycles and e-bikes could equally be considered part of class 20, shown below, or the class one that we just looked at. Now, the decision was made to keep class one, uh, keep bicycles and e-bikes in class one for the backward compatibility, so that um, so that we retained the sum of all of the level four classes in class one still was uh, remained the same, and any processes that were using that would remain unaffected. So we're going to cover more detail on the uh, class twenty in the active transport webinar on the uh, the ninth of November. So that being the case, when you look at um, class one, then the backward compatibility, class one count is equal to the sum of classes 100 through to 106. If we moved the bicycles, class 101 and e-bikes out of there, it would have broken that. And this was um, basically referred to the project working group to, um, to hear what their preference was and it was pretty much unanimous that uh, backward compatibility was a very desirable outcome to maintain. So that's why it's done this way. So the new class 20 has all other non-road travellers, but it's worth noting that if you do want to do a report, for example, about vulnerable road users, you could effectively do the sum of class 20 plus add in class 101 and 102 to pick up the bicycles, e-bikes, powered motorcycles, tricycles, quadricycles, all of those. So there are pathways ahead with these sort of things that just work at the reporting level once you've got the granularity worked out. So that sort of gives you an overview of how we've broken up those and the rationale behind it. Having done that, um, we needed to go through a, a, a validation exercise where we, we went through to um, just check on some of the uh, the boundaries and some of the other um, ways of distinguishing between different vehicles uh, in a exercise using a lot more data. And there was um, there were total of quite a few tasks in this, but only a number of these are relevant to today's seminar. First one being task one, where we um, the recommendation came through to change the length boundary between classes one and three from 3.2 to 3.25 metres. I'll discuss that in more detail on the next slide. Then uh, task three, look at criteria to distinguish bicycles and motorcycles. And we did find that we were able to determine a length boundary that distinguished between those with a minimal error. Doesn't eliminate the error, but the error level is, is acceptable. And then the criteria to distinguish between in task four, um, sedans, wagons, SUVs, four-wheel drive and light vans. But there are another of similar um, issues arising in the he heavy vehicle classes. So you see a list of them for um, class three, four, five, and nine all had scenarios where the axle configurations were the same, but they were different types of vehicles that needed to be distinguished. So um, talk a little bit about that in a subsequent slide as well. 
And then also the criteria needed to distinguish types of non-road travellers inside Class 20. We'll touch on that here, but that will be gone into a bit more detail in next week's um, webinar on active transport. So let's have a look at task one, which um, is the boundary between class three, which is the light truck, and class one, which is the short vehicle. And the poster child for uh, the need to change here is actually the Ford Ranger. So this graph shows you in orange the wheelbase, uh, which is the distance between front and rear axles on the Ford Ranger since it was introduced in 1995, where it was around about 2.74 metres separation up to uh, this year. And you can see how it's been getting longer. And then the, the annual sales figures are shown in blue. So you can see how the um, the sales in 2021 there peaked over 50,000. Uh, just number two, just behind the, um, just behind the Hilux in the, um, in the, SUV um, side of things. And um, so what's happened here is that our 1994 definition uh, that makes a distinction between class one and three was an axle spacing of 3.2 metres. And so you can see that in um, 2012, the Ford Ranger went to 3.22 metres up between the axles and with the rounding of the um, of the measurement technology often we were starting to see Ford Rangers appearing as class three light trucks instead of short vehicles because of that. So when we were doing the analysis this project started in about 2021 um, then the recommendation was coming through to uh, change that boundary from 3.2 to 3.25 However, in the process of finalising this, this project, we've uh, found that as of last year, the 2022 model wheelbase is now 3.27 metres. So um, there's a question there, do we need to actually raise that to 3.3 metres? And we're, we're, um, we've got a process for that discussion that we'll talk about in a, in a moment towards the end of the um, technical discussion. When we look at tasks four to eight, and this is where we've got vehicles with the same axle configuration that requires a different level four class. So um, the one we've been specifically talking about was in the top row there, class one, where we've got uh, 103, four, five, and six with the sedans and wagons, SUV, four wheel drives, and light vans. And when we examined the spacings of all of those, the distribution of spacings had significant overlap between those classes such that drawing a boundary at any location would result in significant error in the allocation of vehicles into those subclasses. So it was determined that the use of axle spacing for that was just not feasible, but it didn't necessarily rule out having subclasses for them, it would just mean that we would have to use alternate technology to actually um, allocate vehicles to those level four classes. So those alternate technologies that have been emerging are the likes of ANPR, video and AI, etc. Now the same issue was had in some of the heavy vehicles shown in the, the next four rows below, where we've got in class three, four, five and nine, um, vehicles there with the same axle configuration, but the need to put them in a different level four class had the same issue. So it's, um, it's not just an issue for the light vehicle class. So we'll discuss those alternate uh, technology pathways in a subsequent slide. So the other thing that was introduced is this class for unmatched vehicles. So historically, what was happening in the 12-bin scheme um, was where a vehicle could not be found to fit into one of the classes one through to 12 with the axle configurations. Um, it was either shoehorned into one of them or the count was discarded. And both of those approaches produces problems um, with the data, the accuracy and, and the amount of misinformation um, that can be accumulated. So 
given that there was a sort of pseudo random allocation of these unmatched vehicles into the counts, it was felt that a unmatched vehicle class was needed and um, to give a bit of room in the in the scheme was allocated as class number 19 um, for these vehicles. Now, the introduction of a of an unmatched vehicle class is not without a danger which we acknowledged, which is that there's a creep in the number of vehicles allocated here, that suddenly we start getting lots and lots of vehicles allocated into this bucket. And that's why we've also recommended as part of the scheme that a standardised data structure is developed for capturing all of the measurements that are collected for this ve these vehicles so that we can revisit this and determine how best to address when we're starting to get a lot of vehicles being collected in class 19. So an example not a um, of the kind of thing, not a, a rock solid recommendation for the vehicle data signatures shown in that bottom right hand corner to give you an idea of what it could look like something of this nature. Um, effectively, it should be a, a generic data structure that allows us to capture any information captured by any of our sensors in the system. So they were the, the key recommendations arising for class one, two and 19 for, for the scheme. So next we'll just look at what are the proposed next steps. And the next steps for road agencies and road managers are on the left and the next steps for Austroads are on the right. Now each of the road agencies and managers can determine the timing of, of when they do these next steps um, themselves. So these three steps recommended are firstly an implementation of the minimum viable product for storing and reporting classification data and the subsequent slides will go into showing you exactly how relatively simple that actually is and how it doesn't break anything um, in backward compatibility. The step after that would be a transition to future data management in the jurisdictions whereby they're able to receive counts actually from the counting providers or their field systems that actually use 2023 classifications and store it in their systems. But then also the ongoing development and trials of alternative technologies for classification and per object data capture, which includes the video plus AI, LIDAR plus AI and other associated technologies. Cooperative ITS falls into that, telematics as well. Um, all of these are different pathways to classification. The next steps for Austroads on the right hand side are, there's a, um, the proposal for having that object data storage standard that we've just been talking about in the previous slide for jurisdictions and industry to collaborate to create an extensible per object standard. And that will greatly assist with future proofing this standard and making upgrades, updates to it much easier going forward. But also the validation that we did was on a smaller scale with a smaller number of um, of the uh, jurisdictions. So we felt it wise to recommend a, um, a validation on a larger scale just to make sure that no problems have been introduced, particularly to do with the boundaries and the thresholds. Typically that, uh, for example, that 3.25 to 3.3 meter um, recommendation. Now it should be noted at this point that just because we're doing a validation of that threshold doesn't invalidate the ability to proceed with the minimum viable product because the number that we're talking about will be just a change of one number in the database to say the difference between classes one and three is 3.3 meters instead of 3.2. So it'll just be a single number update. So it doesn't threaten in any way the ability for any jurisdiction to proceed with minimum viable product. And then finally, there's an investigate the potential for an ANPR based classification scheme uh, for Austroads as well as part of that. And we'll cover that, what that looks like in a little bit more detail in subsequent slides. So if we look at the minimum viable product, um, this shows how you can store all of the historical data you've collected with the Austroads 1994 count into a typical new scheme. So on the left, you've got the blue box showing the historical data. And we've got an example there with class seven reporting 142 vehicles. So in transition, the new system 
holds um, level four counts with class 700. Now 700 is the catch-all for uh, storing um, all of the data that's previously been allocated to class seven. So, and when you bring import the historical data into the new system, all the other classes, 701 through to 705, will have a null in them, unable to, which indicates an unable to measure. So it means that having stored that data that way, then in the reporting of this new system, class seven equals the sum of all of those classes, 700 through to 705, which is still equal to 142 vehicles. So nothing's been broken. All of the processes and procedures that you currently use using Austroads counts can still proceed unchanged, nothing downstream. So you'll note I've put in there, and we're making a distinction there between whether a technology used to collect a count is unable to measure a class or whether it can measure it. Now this shows up in the next step. Say for example, you had that 142 vehicle count and you still had all the axle data that you had used to generate that. And you were able to reprocess that axle count data using the 2023 scheme. Well, that would allow you to redistribute vehicles out of class 700 elsewhere in, inside class seven. So, and that's showing an example there where we've got 60 vehicles remaining in class 700, but then there's 700, 701's got 42, 702's got a zero, because none were identified, but we were able to identify them. But 703's got a null, which says, oh, we weren't able to identify that type of vehicle using axle count, or using the technology we use. So we're putting a null there as a distinct from a zero. Now both when summed up give a count of zero, but it's just making a distinction in your data whether you're able to actually measure that particular class or not. So you can still see then on the right hand side, the Austroads 2023 reports still gives us class seven equals 142 vehicles, but you've also got the option of reporting at the granular level. So this shows how a minimum viable product could implement the scheme today and be backward compatible with all that you're currently using it for. And then in future, as the data starts to come through from the field using the Austroads 2023 counting scheme, all of that data will come through straight into the existing data storage and still enable class seven to be reported on. Uh, as the sum of all the classes with all the granularity as well below that. So that's the, the pathway as the, then the field infrastructure changes to uh, allow the more granular counts. Now, as far as ongoing trials, alternative technologies, we've got um, our existing infrastructure for classification uses the loops, infrared beams, piezo and WIM for the um, axle-based counting and in some cases, Doppler radar can give you a length-based uh, level one class. But our emerging technologies include ANPR, um, telematics, and including cooperative ITS, which is emerging on a longer time frame, but also video plus AI and LIDAR. And these last two, video AI and LIDAR, will be essential to the class 20 recognition. And you can see samples on the right-hand side of the video up the top, which can use AI to identify types of, of travelers. And the LIDAR down the bottom is showing you um, some of the capability that's there. That'll be covered in more detail in next week's webinar. But it's important to note that we've got quite a range of different technologies that are able to actually collect data giving us different pathways to classification. And in many respects, um, it's important that we identify that the sensors that we use to collect the data are aligned with the applications that we're wanting to run so that we know which measurements we're interested in are being collected for what we're trying to do with that data. And some of this data allows other data to be derived using external data sets. We'll go into the ANPR example on the next slide. And this is again illustrating where this per vehicle data standard is going to be beneficial because you can see quite a range of different measures are available from different technologies and this is uh, that per vehicle standard is going to 
enable quite a, um, a rich data set to be collected, which sort of sits underneath the, the top level classification data set. So let's have a look at the um, proposed uh, proof of concept ANPR trial. So this is an example of how the different pathways can support classification. So we've got uh, collecting axle and tyre data uh, down the bottom there, the traditional way in purple with the axle-based classification resulting in the, the um, level four classes being determined on the right. But you can see there's an alternate pathway at the top there with the collecting the number plates in blue and then using an ANPR classification which matches the registration data through a privacy filter to identify the model, the make and model of that vehicle, and from there create that pathway to classification. So this is just an illustration of how classification might be able to give us a richer data set, which would also then be able to feed to you whether the trailers were a, um, you know, a boat, a caravan, or a trailer, or some of these other attributes we can't measure through axles. And it also acknowledges that future data collection sites might have multiple sensors for richer data collection validation as well. So you can see how we've got that collecting axle and tyre data. We've got the per vehicle data capture coming out of the data collection standard uh, process in that diagram. So going forward, one of the key things we wanted to establish in the new scheme was to make sure that there was things built in to make it easier to keep the scheme current going forward because we've got an evolution of technology but also an evolution of fleet as illustrated by the Ford Ranger. And the main barriers to that is the time and cost to identify where changes need to be made to the scheme and then the cost of implementing those changes to the scheme. And we believe the structure that we've recommended allows a lot of flexibility in implementing the changes. We've got 99 level four classes available to us underneath each of the 12 subclasses. And um, the recommendation of a data collection standard is the key to reducing the time and cost of identifying those future changes and how to deal with them. That was probably our biggest challenge in this project. So the evolution of that data um, standard for storing all of the data collected for each object is, is a strong recommendation and it should support all measurements being able to be collected by any technology. So to give you an example of how that'll be beneficial is, we've already touched on this one, the class 19 becoming a catch-all, a slush bucket. So we want to be able to analyse any vehicle that falls into that class to identify how to best address those particular vehicles so they can be allocated elsewhere. So that will allow us to identify those and figure out the pathway forward to update it. And then where AI can't identify vehicles using video and AI or LiDAR, the training data set also points to data that can be available to address that AI training issue as well. So these two, these methods we believe will help make it um, able to keep the scheme more current going forward and uh, not have 20 something years between the uh, this update and the, the next update. So at this point, um, thanks for, uh, for listening and I'll hand to Amy for some concluding remarks and then our questions. Thank you to Drew and Dave for a great presentation talking us through how we got to the new Vehicle Classification Scheme for Light Vehicles. Uh, oh, just a quick reminder, we've got some questions on, online, but if you have, this is a good time now to jot down any questions that come to you, because we've got some time for Drew and Dave to respond to your questions. But I would just like to sum up now and say, um, note that the, the scheme, the Austroads 23 scheme has been approved by the Austroads Board, which is the, uh, as you know, the uh, all the different members, which is the state and territory agencies, the Australia, the Wakakotohi, the New Zealand Transport Agency, and also the Australian Local Government Association, the Department of Infrastructure in Canberra. So it's been approved for adoption. It's now the new standard, but we'll keep on uh, keep, keep an eye on it and make sure we consider any necessary reviews or refinements going forward to reflect the changing vehicle fleet and the emerging technology options. Uh, just on to the next slide, please. I wanted to point out that you can easily download the full uh, guideline which is on the left hand side and the research report which Drew and Dave are talking to now 
from these two QR codes. And in fact, there are many um, reports on the Austro's website, which if you haven't been before, please do have a look. And they're all free to download. And I'll just go on to the next slide, please. And I'll, yeah, thank you. We would like to uh, throw the floor up to some questions. We've already got some questions which have come through. So I might just uh, kick the ball off with a comment, with a, just a point of order, I guess, where one of our participants has pointed out that we might uh, want to be careful about not having a bias against axle-based technology, saying that axle-based technology is, is, is still a, an important um, technology tool. And I think that I'm pretty sure that Drew and Dave would agree that is still part of the, the package. And I'm, I don't know, if Drew, Dave, would you be comfortable to talk to the, you know, the role of axle-based technology going forward? Uh, absolutely. Um, what we've uh, basically done is made sure that everything you can do now with the axle-based technology can do going forward and more. It gives that extra level of granularity, but it's also acknowledging the limitations of the axle-based technology where it can't do certain things. And that's not a negative uh, about the technology. It's just every sensor has got strengths and weaknesses and um, and things that it can do and things that it can't do. So we've enabled the continued ongoing use of accident technology. There's been no degradation at all, but there's also been pathways enabled to use other sensors and particularly to enable multi-sensor sites, which will enable a better leverage of value out of the axle data and other other data that's able to be collected. If I, if I can just add to that. Um, yep. we, we talked about today about, about identification of trailers. For those who were at the heavy vehicle uh, webinar last week, there are there are some classes that are finding it uh, are very difficult to use just axle counting uh, only, and so that technology as a collaboration or an enhancement can pick up on some of those. So it was all about using what is available to have the most accurate count. Thanks, Drew. I think following on from this, but I guess just. Another question that has pointed out that much of this emerging technology is much more easily enabled in built-up urban areas um, and likely to be more tricky if you're working in a remote or rural context. So uh, how do you see that playing out for those more remote remote or rural areas to use this, this new scheme? Okay, um, yes. Part of the, uh, the barrier um, to the use of the, the later technology is that the scheme hasn't actually supported it in the past. And the best way to um, make it more accessible is to provide pathways for it to being used more often. And so this will um, address the ability to get pricing and technology and, and just the experience of actually using the technology out there because these are the things that then subsequently make it available for the remote, more remote areas where it's able to be sort of proven and and the issues, any any associated issues sorted out um, before it gets out there because we absolutely recognise that the costs associated with things misbehaving in, in remote areas are just that much, that much higher and um, needs to be a lot more sorted out before you're putting it in the more remote areas with the um, with the higher consequential costs if uh, something needs to be rectified. Thanks, Dave. I think following on again from that point, we've, we've had a question about ANPR matching to registration data. And I guess the person's making the, the, the logical uh, point that there's privacy concerns around matching um, obtaining registration data, which is uh, completely understood. So how do you see the ANPR matching option fitting into the, the, the yes. going forward? So if we can go back to that diagram, I'll just find it myself. Um, Katarina, could we have slide number, um, where is it? Slide number 46, please. Okay. So you'll see there we've got the registration data and there's a privacy filter there. If the if the data provided is just saying what a make make or model is, or even going beyond that, here's all the relevant measurements. Here's the wheelbase. Here's the um, here's the um, the configuration. Here's all that we know about the vehicle, except for any data that is privacy. Um, privacy related or could incur a privacy issue, 
then that provides a pathway. And I believe there's a certain subset available through the NEVDIS data already that is is um, available through um, through queries, you know, for those who are purchasing a vehicle and these sorts of things to provide a certain amount of certainty. So this is one of the reasons why, though, in terms of making sure all those privacy issues are covered off, uh, this has been recommended to a proof of concept trial and um, to make sure that everything there is sorted out. It wasn't in the scope for us in this project to establish that pathway. We just identified the fact that it, it is there and that there's a bunch of issues that need to be looked at just to make sure that all of this can work for all those who would like to use it. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Now I've got a question here about slide 33, please, Ekaterina. Uh, so the person has asked, uh, where do two-door hatchbacks fit? Are they 103? Uh, are they class 103? And are two-wheel drive utes in class 105? Two-door hatchbacks. Uh, let me just see the exact wording of the question. The two-door hatchbacks. Hmm. 103, yes. Utes, yeah. uh, 105, uh, yes. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. So, so I mean, we've got a sample of images there, so it's it's more about the, not so much about the configuration of the car, but more about the, the, the size of the vehicle. So, you know, Poodle does go in 103. Great. Uh, look, there's another point here. I think I know the answer, but I'll, it's, it's about the question is, is there a mass value to differentiate light and heavy vehicles? Because I guess we know that under the heavy vehicle national law, heavy vehicles are over 4.5 tonnes. But what was the uh, consideration around mass as, as a differentiation tool? Um, is it that question for Drew or, or Dave? Yeah, Drew, could you? Uh, I was going to defer to you, Dave, about that one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> The scheme we we recognise that across the um, across the the range of vehicles, the mass can quite distinctly vary depending on whether the vehicles are loaded, unloaded, these sort of things. So it's it's the scheme isn't designed to be a mass related scheme, but there is opportunity to store mass related data in that extended um, the standardised data structure. Um, where there's a sensor able to actually measure it, whether that comes from, uh, for example, the way in motion based sensors or the onboard mass systems which are available through uh, through IAP. So the um, the pathway is there as a an alternate way of doing it, and the 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 data structure that would support that would enable to do mass based querying, but the scheme itself at a classification level is not principally designed to reflect the mass requirements, but it can support with the implementation of that lower level data structure, uh, recording all the data it would be able to support mass related queries should that data be collected. And, and can I add to that, that uh, the, the question came up when we started this uh, project, it wasn't so prevalent, but increasingly it is, is the weight of uh, electric vehicles, uh, particularly heavy vehicles. And so there comes another mass a mass question there, but the axle configuration may well be the same. So that's something road agencies will need to consider when they when they want to measure the mass. But for this particular project, as Dave said, it was more about about the counting of the of the of the type of vehicle and size. But mass will become an will become an issue for for electric vehicles. We all know they they can be a lot heavier than um, than uh, a traditional uh, diesel. Uh, heavy vehicles. Thank you, Drew. Um, I've just got, we haven't got time for too many more questions, but maybe one or two more. I think one question is, um, if we are separating by number plate, will there be capacity to differentiate by petrol, electric, et cetera, to gauge usage on the network? Yes, we, we recognise on the way through that that was a key point of interest. And um, Given that there is options for diesel, petrol, LPG, electric, hybrid, and various other, and hydrogen, etc., across the scheme, it could have made the base scheme very, very complex. So, um, Katarina, if I could get slide 40 up, you'll note that in the example data structure at the bottom right there, we've got a drive type attribute. 
and the pathway for number plate recognition would give us a means of populating that data set, which then gives a way to create queries in the system to extract that data, whether it's electric across all the classes, hybrid across all the classes, et cetera, and do those, uh, those type of queries. So while it's not supported in the base, the primary scheme, we've got a pathway included to allow that data to be captured and then reported on across all the classes. Thank you, Dave. And I think we probably better round, round this off now. So thank you very much, Dave and Drew, for all your time and insights today. Um, I'll pass back to Katerina, who's got um, some closing information for us. And thank you, everybody online, for making the time to attend. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, uh, Amy, Dave and Drew. I only have a couple of slides to finish the session. Um, as you can see on the screen, we have two webinars left for this year. So if you haven't registered, um, please uh, head to our website um, and register for these ones. Um, and as we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Um, it really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Um, once again, today's session has been recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks Thank all. You.